very much for that. Uh, as you take out the handout sheet in your bulletin, if you haven't already, you will notice that today is our launch weekend for 2006, the year of holiness. Today's lesson is entitled, My Utmost for His Highest, Transformation from the Inside Out. Where do you think I got that title? I totally ripped it off. Amen. Yes. Plagiarism. It's of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I didn't want to think that I was trying to be sly or anything, so I thought I would quote Oswald Chambers just as we begin under the book of that same title. If you haven't got a chance to read uh, that book, where in the world have you been? Okay, it's been around forever. It's a great book, but he begins with a quote that is far more powerful than anything I could have said. And he said this. He begins with, my utmost for his highest. My eager desire and hope being that I may never feel ashamed. That, of course, is a quote, and he comments on it. He said, we shall all feel very much ashamed if we do not yield to Jesus on the point he has asked us to yield to him. Paul says, my determination is to be my utmost for his highest. To get there is a question of will, not of debate, nor of reasoning, but a surrender of will. An absolute and irrevocable surrender on that point. Therefore, shut out every other consideration and keep yourself before God for this one thing only. My utmost for his highest. I am determined to be absolutely and entirely for him and for him alone. It was that last phrase that got me. The other stuff sounds kind of flowery and I can kind of blow it off and whatever. But that last phrase, he says what? I am determined to be absolutely and entirely for him and for him alone. That I don't know if I can write. Obviously, I'm not that determined because obviously I am not for him and for him alone. I am a lot for him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like. You know, I'm a, you know, a psycho or something. I, you know, I'm really into Jesus. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, I do this for a living and I, and I'm praying, you know, before the Lord all the time and I'm reading scripture and I don't even know where I start and he stops. I'm really into God, but I'm also kind of into me. I'm also kind of into my wife and my kids and I'm also kind of into relationships with friends and I really kind of like it here and I'm pretty distracted. Okay. I guess I'm a little bit bugged by the fact that he can say this and I can't. I don't know if that's pride and competition or if it has noble means. I don't know, but it bothers me. Can you say that? I am determined to be absolutely entirely for him and for him alone. Or do you still need a teddy bear? Here's what I mean. It's interesting that as we launch off on a year of holiness, some of you may be thinking, great, a year of coming to church made to feel guilty, and he's going to sit there and tell me everything I did wrong. That is not true. That's every other week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But here's what's funny about it. We picture God as walking in and looking at our needs And here we are hanging on to all our little addictions and everything else like a teddy bear, some type of comfort. And we feel like God walks in and rips the teddy bear away and says, you shouldn't need that. And so we're afraid to submit anything to him because, heck, he's going to take away our only security. Why do we do the sin we do? 
Many times it is because we are seeking to fulfill legitimate needs by illegitimate means. Do you understand what that means? Now, listen, a lot of us find ourselves in the bar scene because we seek to be loved. Would we all agree that that is indeed a case for many? Yeah. Is it wrong to want to be loved? Absolutely not. That is a legitimate craving. How you fulfill that craving seems to be the problem. And But what happens is we end up having sex outside of marriage because it makes us feel tied in, wanted, and loved. And then we feel like God's going to walk in and say, shouldn't do that, rip away the teddy bear, and say, now just stand there naked and exposed, and you've got nothing on your side. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Absolutely not. I believe very much so that God desires and wants to fulfill our proper needs by proper means. And I believe that he can do that. It may not be in the way you want, at the speed you want, but he certainly can do that. So I'm not telling you that this year is going to be a year where I'm going to go, man, you're all gross. You need to clean it up. Now, that may be true. But that's not something I'm going to be talking to you about every day, because if I did that, I have to talk to me every day, and I know how that feels. What is holiness? Holiness is one of those terms that you all kind of think you know what it means, but you have a hard time defining. Holiness, there's two sides of the same coin. The word holy seems to be a derivative of the word separate. So it has two sides to it. On one side of the coin, it means to be kept apart for special purposes. Okay? For example, you read in the Old Testament and it says the articles in the temple were made holy. What does that mean? Does that mean the plate was morally perfect? No, plates aren't morally perfect, right? No, it means that it was set aside, cleansed for God's use. Now, at my mom's house, my daughter's have pretty much full reign. They run in grandma's house and they go all over the place and grab toys and stuff. And she has a lot of dolls and stuff for them to play with. And as a matter of fact, they happen to grab a snow globe on Christmas and shatter it on the floor. Oh, I thought it was a lot thicker than that. (laughs) Apparently not. Now, they run around and play with all kinds of dolls. And then there is the locked curio cabinet that has dolls inside it where you can look right at the window. Right? Open, 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 right? And the little kids can look and go, I want to play with that one. But no, that is set aside for special purposes. That is one side of holiness. If you flip the coin around, it means moral perfection or righteousness. Now, when we talk about God being holy, in some ways we mean set apart for special purposes or separate from sin. But we mostly mean moral purity. There's nothing dark in God. He's 100% clear, pure. Does that make sense? So in some senses, this year is going to be about trying to become separated out from the world and from our sin and become who we truly are. That is part of it. Because quite frankly, statistically, there's no difference between us and the world. Does that bother you? It should. Obviously, it doesn't bother me enough. Otherwise, I'd change. But it bothers me. Okay? We are still having the same divorce rate. We're still having the same issues. We still have all the same drama. We have all, okay, there needs to be some difference. 
there's not. So one, one, one thing we're going to do this year is try to focus on that. But the other thing, and the thing I think we are focusing on mostly, is trying to find areas where we can release it to the Lord and become pure. Okay, that's a lot harder. That seems weird and scary. I understand. Because I don't like change. I don't like God messing with my life, and yet he keeps doing it. All right? But to some degree, I need to be okay with that. You see, the Lord is perfect, pure, and holy. Not because he's trying to adhere to some code out there, but who he is, is the code. So you only become holy insofar as you become like him. In other words, the year of holiness is just the year of discipleship. It's trying to be more like Jesus. So if I said 2006 is the year to try to be more like Jesus, then everybody's like, yeah, okay, same thing. What I'm trying to do is to find some way to have our lives match our standing in Christ. What do I mean? Do you understand, if you're a believer today, Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future, do you believe that? If you believe that, then that means that when the Father looks at you, you are 100% pure. There is nothing on you. He sees you through the blood of Christ, and you are 100% acceptable and morally pure. Okay, if that is the case, how come there's such a great discrepancy between that and how we live? At some point, we need to draw those in and have them reflect each other a little bit more. That's what we're trying to do. Another thing I want to say about this year is there's going to be a lot of letting go. Not so much trying harder, but letting go. And what I mean is this. God designed us in a brand new life when we got saved, and it was almost like we were a brand new Pink, baby flesh, baby. Boom, we're right there. Brand new life. And what we've done since then is add in a bunch of junk and garbage and baggage. And God is going, hold on, I just want to set you free from that junk and get you back to what I asked you to do. Because Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and yet we still have all this drama and trash in our lives. Who added that in? Was that God? No, he's trying to strip away that and say, would you let go of that and be who you truly are? Stop putting on the masks. Stop adding in the garbage and just be who I made you to be. We are trying to become back to what God intended. Amen. Amen. It says that the creation of God reflects his glory. And yet mountains don't try really hard to reflect God's glory. They're just mountains. They just do what mountains do. What do mountains do? They just sit there, okay? And they're covered with snow sometimes, and other times they're not. And sometimes they look really pretty, and people go, Oh, God's awesome. Okay, why? They didn't do anything. They were just how they were made. Well, if we could just be how we were made, we would automatically reflect God's glory. Because people would go, Wow, look at what God did. Right now, they're going, Hey, I think there's something about God in there. Do you see? I see a lot of what man made, but I think there's something about God inside there, but I'm not sure. Let me tell you what this year is not. You ready? 2006, not the year of legalism. Okay? Let me give you a little analogy. We're all shopping around the grocery store. Keep your eyes in your own cart. Look up at Jesus, back to your cart. Up at Jesus, what he tells you to remove out of your cart, you remove out of your cart. What he tells you to put in your cart, you put in your cart. You do not walk around and go, dang, what the heck's in your cart? 
I was going to pick that up, but, oh, dear. Right? Now, every once in a while, you're going to pull up alongside somebody else, and they're going to go, hey, can you take a look at something in my cart? Okay, then that means you have the right to do this. You look over into their cart, and they go, hey, I got one of these. And you go, yeah, I do too. It's right here. And they go, well, what do, you want, what do I do about it? I don't know. <laughs> okay? No, at that point, you stop and you pray with them and you engage with them about the thing in their cart, and that is giving you right. When you're done with that, you get your eyes back on Jesus and look in your own cart. Alright? You do not walk around and keep paying attention to everyone else's cart. Now, unless you have spent time with God and you got the Shekinah glory shining off your body and you got to wear a veil. Alright, now, if you have that issue, you can come look in my cart. Other than that, stay in your own cart. Now, that doesn't mean church discipline stops. Now, understand, Lance the man has no right to look in your cart. Lance the pastor, the office I fulfill, I have to look in your cart. That's kind of the point. That's what a shepherd does. So I'm not telling you that stops. But I'm telling you, we're not running around being the police of each other. Focus on your own stuff. Keep your eyes in your own cart. This is about you and God. Not about everybody else. This year can be a year of freedom. This year can be understanding our identity in Christ. This year can be a year unhindered by trash. This can be a year where we become distinct from the world and sin. This can be a year of freedom from addictions. Do you see the possibilities? All he's trying to do is say, kids, get back to what I made and stop adding on. It's just you and me. I guess the bottom line for me is the fill in the blank in front of you. It's time to live as we are called. It's time to live as we are called. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Page 487 in the Bibles that you are handed. Page 487. For the rest of us, it is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. There are two key passages I'm going to hearken back to all year long, and that is Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8, and 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. They kind of tie in together and they work very nicely together, and I, they kind of provide a full picture of what the goal is. And so we will begin by studying both of those. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It begins with this. In the year that King Uzziah died. Anyone off the top of your head? 740 B.C. Oh, incredible. 740 B.C. Thank you, Mike. He was here last service. <laughs> if you know this and you weren't here last service, what's wrong with you? Don't you have anything better to do than study King Uzziah's death date? Come on. Nobody in their right mind would know that. All right, here we go. Oh, sorry. I said in their right mind, Mike. King Uzziah died in 740 B.C. He reigned from 792 B.C. to 740 B.C. As a matter of fact, he was a really good king for a while. He was a, a man that seemingly was after God's heart, and that is until he got cocky. He offered a, wanted to offer up incense in the temple, and he was not supposed to do that. Ended up getting busted. God struck him with leprosy, and he had it for ten years until he died. Bad ending. His son was a complete wretch of a man, and when he took over as king, things went very bad, very fast. And as a matter of fact, when Isaiah is having this vision and launching his ministry, 
his son has already taken the throne, and he may well have felt like the whole nation was going to hell in a handbasket, and where was God? And then suddenly he has a vision that God is still on the throne. So let's take a look at this vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. All right, now why is that significant? Well, Exodus 33.20 says if you see the Lord, you're going to die. Well, that's pretty significant. No one can see the Lord and live. Well, is that really what it says? Actually, what it means is that you cannot see God in all of his power and glory. If you really saw the trifold Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in its intensity, it'd fry you. You just can't handle that. But we've seen manifestations of God or what we would say persons of God or parts of God. Moses saw God's backside, stuff like that. So he sees a vision of God that is amazing. I saw the Lord seated on a throne. All right. So let me ask you a question. What type of people sit on thrones? Kings. That means that he is seeing God represented as a king. When kings tell you to do something, do you do it? Yeah, that's kind of the point of a king. They rule. If you do not obey, they are not your king. Are we all beginning to follow this? Okay. So obedience is crucial. As kings rule and command, we are supposed to do as they say, therefore they're our king. Here in heaven, he is on a throne as a king, not just any throne, but he is high and exalted, as he should be. Way lifted up there. Not just a median throne, not just kind of he's a little bit like in my life. Where it's a little bit me, a little bit him. Oh, look, he's on a throne, but it's not real high. It's kind of, you know, it depends on the day, right? There in heaven, high up and exalted on a throne is the Lord. Is it any wonder that in the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, may it be here on earth as it is in heaven? What was he asking for? Would you rule here just like you do up there? Would you be in your glory and be in your fullness here as you are there? I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We say, train? What do you mean train? That's not that unusual of a word. I do a lot of weddings, and what is on the back of many wedding dresses? But a train, okay, it's it's a pretty common term. As a matter of fact, when you need to bustle the dress, you draw up the train and then lock it down so it's not, you're always tripping over it. But usually a train is the long portion of the dress that extends out the back. Now, in the Eastern world, the rulers would wear long flowing robes. The more flowy the robe, the more honor you had. And so here he is... Manifested as a king with a long flowing robe where it filled the temple. In other words, though, he was everywhere. His presence was everywhere and it was a long flowing robe. So the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. What are seraphs? Well, they're described a lot in the book of Ezekiel, but... Here they're described a little bit. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. That's a weird looking critter. 
This is a heavenly being. There are two classifications of heavenly beings that are not what we would consider angels, per se, although angel just means one sent. Those are seraphim and cherubim. These seraphs, or seraphim, are very odd-looking. Ezekiel says that they're covered in eyes and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so they're hovering and they have six wings. With two wings, they're covering their what? Their face or their eyes. With two, they're covering their lower extremities. And with two, they're flying and they're hovering over the throne. Now, these are, their name is associated with the word fire. They're known as the flaming ones. They are the ones that are dealing with the altar of God. They're seen a lot about fire, a lot about worship. So there they are hovering over, ministering before God. And they're calling to one another. Do you see that? And they were calling to one another. Now, there's two things the Jewish people did, and they still sometimes still do it today, but there's two common things that they did as a group. One of them was call and response, what we would call liturgy today, where the priest or someone would say something and then people would respond back. Does that make sense? A lot of churches, old school, still do that today. So they call out and the people respond back. So this may be that. Where it says, holy, 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 it may be that one calls out and then another one responds holy and then another one responds holy as if it was a community or corporate worship service. Another thing that the Jewish people did was use three words the same to emphasize something. In other words, when David was mourning the loss of his son, he said, my son, my son, my son. That means it's very intense to me. So when they say holy, 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 that's an intensification of how great and holy God is. Does that make sense? They were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They were saying how amazing, how majestic, how pure, how marvelous. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Where have we seen a description of something like that? Well, Mount Sinai. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, it says he went up on the mountain, and God appeared in fire, and smoke covered the mountains, and when God smoked, it would thunder and shake the ground. As a matter of fact, it was so scary, the people said, please don't let God talk to us anymore, we're going to die. That's how big it was. So when his glory was exalted, bam, the foundations would be shaken. Pretty powerful. And when you think of smoke, how do you know the difference between smoke and a cloud? Don't they both kind of look similar? Okay, the similar word is used in the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites by day, the pillar of fire at night. And when it talks about the tent of meeting where Moses met with God, it would descend in a cloud and he would fill the place. So here we have God filling it once again. When God fills, he fills completely. So he came in and filled the place. Now, what was Isaiah's reaction to what he saw? Okay, clearly God is high and exalted. And I believe that a first step towards holiness is to see God as He truly is. So what are we going to do this year? Try to rediscover God as He truly is. Our year will be about trying to see the Lord high and lifted up and lift Him back up in our lives 
put him back on the throne of our lives. But then we also have to do something, and that's look at ourselves in reaction to who God is and what happened. He said, woe to me. I cried, I am ruined. So what was his reaction? I might as well just die. After what I've seen, looking at myself, I'm done. I'm out. Is that a proper reaction? I think certainly so. Why? His despair filled his heart because he knew he was sin-filled. Seeing God caused a reaction in him that was proper. He fell down on his face. I'm ruined. I'm done. And what is our reaction when we see God? Well, he's kind of nice. Um, I mean, I guess if he shows up, whatever. Jesus is my buddy, right? There's no awe. Why is he so upset? For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, I cannot sing what the seraphs sing. They're singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I can't sing. I'm wicked. I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't see what I see. I shouldn't hear what I hear. I don't belong here. I am unworthy. And that is a reaction of sin in front of holiness. And so, it says what? My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In other words, in light of what I see, I can't handle it. Now, there's a nuance there in Hebrew that Forrest pointed out in some of his research for me that I don't know if I'm making too much out of it. But the actual literal translation in Hebrew says, and the king has seen my eyes. And you go, well, Lance, that doesn't make any difference whether you see his eyes or he sees yours. You're both looking at each other. okay? so it doesn't matter. Ah, but there's a nuance there. What do you do when you're ashamed? Where do you look? Down. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Why does everybody naturally look away or down when they're ashamed? I mean, why not, when you get ashamed, raise your right hand? <laughs> I am ashamed. They're like, what are you doing? I'm ashamed. Oh, why not that? Okay, why not bend over sideways? Every time we react by what? Looking away, looking down. Because we're trying to shield our eyes, we feel like someone can look inside of us if they can see our eyes and see us as we truly are. Where do we get the idea of windows to the soul? I don't know. But we feel that way. And so sure enough, he said, the king has seen my eyes. After he knows me for who I am, can I even stand? No way. He's seen me. I'm exposed. It's me. And he knows it. So what happened? What was God's reaction to this? Did God go, man, you are nasty. Ooh, you're a dirty little worm. Get out of here. Was that his reaction to his sin? No, what happened? He says, then what? Then one of the seraphs flew to me with what? He took a live coal from the altar of God 
I believe lit by His very presence. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the fire from God shot out and consumed the sacrifice more than once. When Elijah called down fire from heaven, God's presence Himself lit that fire. The seraph flies down, grabs with tongs off the altar, a live coal, flies over to him and touches his lips. Why would he touch his lips? Well, what does he say? The, me- the, the message is what? Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Why did he touch his lips? Why not his heart? If we're talking about cleansing. Because he was going to be called to be a prophet. What do prophets do? They speak. What was Isaiah's problem? I know you're going to ask me to do something and I am unworthy to do it. No way you can ask me to speak for you. Do you understand how unclean I am? Do you understand what these lips have done? I have spoken the most harsh things towards people. I have been evil. I have said all types of stuff has passed through my face. It's horrible. You don't get it, Lord. What did God do? Did he say, you're right, you're wicked? No, he said, let's take care of that. Guys, boom, Sarah flies over, grabs a coal, goes down, touches his lips. Good, now what's your excuse? And when he touched his lips, he said, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned. A lot of what we're going to do this year is understand our identity. If Jesus cleansed us, then we are free. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. And if we are free, why do we live as if we are not? Your sin or guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then look at verse 8 as he wraps it up. What happens? Then I heard the voice of the Lord, and how amazing is that? Saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And that's asking, who will be my ambassador? I want to partner up with somebody. I want to move power through somebody. Who's going to go? And what does Isaiah say? Me! Me, 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 me! Here I am, send me! Now, what in the world transformed that guy from groveling worm guy to Mr. Volunteer? Do you see? Big difference, right? What was the difference? He appropriated what had been done for him in atonement. What does that mean? That was a fancy way of saying he understood that he was forgiven. And it transformed him from a groveling mess to a man of power. And he said, I'm in. Let's go. What do you want to do? He raised his hand to volunteer when he understood that he was free. This year, we need to understand that we are free. We need to understand that we do not need to constantly grovel every day. But yet, some of us have hard hearts and do not realize that we are still very far from God. And we aren't bothered by that. So, yes, we will need to look at that as well. A beautiful verse that ties in with this is 1 Peter 1.13. Please turn there with me. Page 857. 1 Peter 1.13, page 857. 1 Peter 1.13, page 857. It begins with what word? Okay, good. That's good. It was in Braille. 
And so, therefore, it's hard to speak. I understand. I'm sorry. Let's start over again. It begins with what word? Therefore. Now, therefore what? What is the therefore relating to? Well, we're just started a book, so let me give you a recap. He tells them seven things that are true for them as believers. Number one, they are called by God. Number two, they are purified in Christ. Number three, they are freed from guilt. And number four, they are given new birth and new life. Number five, they are given new hope. Number six, they are promised an inheritance. Number seven, they are shielded from the enemy. Therefore, you ought to act different. In other words, it's like you just read Isaiah and said, therefore, since you've been cleansed and you are now in a state of victory, we should do something about it. That's it. Therefore, what? Prepare your minds for action. You know what it means technically, literally? It means pick up your skirt. All right? In other words, here's how it goes. They wore long robes. The guys wore robes. But if you wanted to run or fight, you can't fight in a dress. So you got to hitch it up. Now you can brawl. Okay? Got to tuck that sucker in. All right. And he said, get ready. We got to get ready to go. Prepare for action. That's what we got to do. Pick up your skirt and get ready. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. That word means clear-headed, untangled from the world. It means pay attention. Because when we move, we're going to move fast. I need you guys alert. Don't get distracted. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Right? Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who's he writing to? Persecuted Christians that are dying for their faith. They're pretty discouraged. He said, stop looking at circumstance. Don't look at today. Don't look at today. I want you to look at the future. Who's coming to save us? Jesus Christ. What's he going to do when he sees us? He's going to give us the salvation that we've been longing for. All right. Hang on to that. Do not let the enemy get you down. Do not buy into that. No. Our Lord is coming. And he is coming to take care of us. As obedient children, he said. Are you, are you a child of God? If you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are. And if you are a child of God, that means you've been adopted into a new family. In this family, we do things a little bit different, God says. We act like dad. Well, dad's a certain way. As obedient children, do not conform. What does the word conform mean? Model after, cave in, be shoved into a mold. Don't you dare let the world or your flesh or your desires cram you into a mold that you don't need to be in. Resist. Don't you dare let them push you around. Do not conform, what? To the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you were unsaved, you were clueless. That's the point. You didn't know about God and all you knew was how you felt. So you get blown to and fro by how you felt. I feel miserable today, so I got to go feed this desire. I feel empty today. I better go do this. I feel this way. Everything's about how you feel. But not when Jesus saved you. Stop living in ignorance. You know now who you are. Start living like it. It's beginning in time to live as we are called. But just as he who called you is holy. In other words, you've been invited by the Holy One. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. What does that mean? 
It means be pure like dad in every aspect of your life. No, you don't compartmentalize. No, I'm a really good guy here, here, but I'm a terrible father and husband. Okay, fix it. Oh, I'm a wonderful woman here, here, and here, but I really have this issue of gossip, and that's not where I'm going to allow God in my life. Oh, but I'm really good here, 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 right? Isn't that what we do? We compartmentalize everything. No. You are a whole being. If you're that way, you're that way. Stop playing like you're great in some areas and you're not in other areas. Either you are or you're not. He said, be holy, pure in every aspect of your life. Be holy in all that you do. Why? He quotes the Leviticus 11.44, which God said to the Jewish people, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. We are grafted into a family. And that family lives a certain way. And they're set apart for special use. And we're part of that family. We now are called to live differently. Not to do it like everybody else. But we have different rules, regulations, freedoms, joys. It's time to live like it. We have been set free. And I just believe that we need a year to figure it out, internalize it, and begin to soar. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your encouragement and the joy set before us. Lord, I believe very strongly that this is going to be a difficult year and it's all worth it. I believe very much, Lord, that You want to point out different aspects of our lives that need to be adjusted or need to be changed or need to be overhauled. And I am a little bit nervous about that because, quite frankly, Lord, I like it the way it is. And yet I don't realize that I am not running free. I don't realize what it's like to have the wind through my hair because I'm pulling along a ball and chain. I don't understand total freedom because I've willingly allowed myself to be in bondage in different areas. And so on behalf of this church, Lord, we respond to you and ask that you would set us free this year and that we would have the best, most life-transforming year we have had to date. And Lord, may you be glorified in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, and in every aspect of our life, that we would be holy in all that we do because we just want to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.